We're going to go from 20 all the way to 23, maybe, maybe 24, but certainly 23. And let me pray and then we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you're faithful to your word. That, Lord, as it's rightly divided, God, it doesn't return void. And it's so powerful, Lord. It speaks the heavens into existence. You are the word. You're the embodiment of the word. You are truth. You're the totality of truth. And so, God, we are privileged tonight to have in our hands and before our eyes this amazing word of God. Lord, as, as we've often heard in relation to Job, that we, we hunger for your word more than our physical food, that, that your word is, is sustenance to us. What food is to the body, your word is to the soul. And tonight, Lord, I know a lot of folks in this room have had a rough week, if not a rough month or rough year. And Lord, they come tonight not to receive from me, but to receive from you. So God, let me get out of the way, and Lord, you minister that you would receive the glory. Lord, I, I don't even know what the needs are in the room, but you're already well aware of them, and you already have the provision. So Lord, would you bring hope and encouragement and blessing to those who are present tonight as they've availed their, themselves to your word. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're, we're going through a series of psalms that were written by David, and, and um, we're going to take a look at two in depth tonight that are amazing psalms. Uh, actually, they're all amazing, but I'm not going to spend an enormous amount of time on Psalm 20 and 21, but I'm, I am going to go through it. In Psalm 20, uh, Psalm 20 uh, the king is getting ready to go to battle, and the people are getting ready to go to battle. Now, for us, uh, I have a shirt that says, uh, back-to-back World War Champs, um, and it has a picture of the United States. Okay, uh, I thought it was a funny shirt. Maybe you don't get it. But, but as a nation, um, we, we've never been enslaved by any other nation. Um, we've been enslaved by our own sin, but we've never been enslaved by another nation. Now, at this point, you know, a borrower is a slave to the lender, so China's getting close. Uh, they can dictate our policy and a number of other things because we've, we've leveraged our future and our children's future. But at this stage, when, when, when David is writing this, when a king goes to war, if... If he loses, his subjects all become slaves of the conquering nation. And all, all, of the, all of the nobility will be beheaded. And Israel, if you take a look at them, they are surrounded by enemies. Absolutely surrounded by enemies on every single side. And it's been that way since, since its inception. They've been hated and they've been maligned and, and everybody wants them gone. And so at this point... Uh, David is getting ready to go to war, but he declares that, uh, in this sense, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So no matter if we go into war, David is going to point out, we're not going to win with chariots. I mean, think about the nation of the United States, our our country. Uh, 9-11, the most prolific military power on the face of the earth. You, You could combine the next five nations' military might and it wouldn't even equal the United States of America on 9-11. But we, this nation was brought to its knees by, what, 11 men with box cutters? They shut down our airports. They hit our places of finance. They hit our military center, and they were going after our White House. 11 guys with box cutters. And guess how they got through? The Lord led them. It passes through his sovereign hand. And we can say, well, God, how could you let that happen? Where was God when all this happened? We, we oftentimes forget who it is we're talking to and what we think we deserve from him because he's a just God. And, and you, don't, you don't kill 70 million babies in the United States and expect God to bless you. We sing God bless America. We should sing America bless God. We're accountable to him. God judges nations. He still does. And so the nation was brought to its knees with a handful of men and box cutters. And it's because we've strayed from the Lord. We're in a postmodern culture. Christianity, in a sense, for many people is on decline. I look at it as, as God's pruning and purifying and make it stronger. And I, I, I love when the, when the gardeners come into my yard and they just obliterate the roses and they just stub them. And then the spring comes, you're like, whoa! I mean, they're just on fire with flowers. They're beautiful. And we're, we're going through a pruning stage. Um, 
you know, we've, we've gone through this seeker-sensitive model of Christianity. We've gone through this hipster Christianity. We've gone through this business mindset of Christianity. We've, we've pretty much obliterated. We feel good. We just abandoned the word, and, and we've embraced whatever we felt we wanted to do. We turned it into commercialism. That doesn't sustain in trials. And it's a wonder that when we go through these things, people in the church are peeling off left and right. And so what David is saying is if we're going to go to war... If we're going to go to war, chariots aren't going to cut it. Military might's not going to suffice. And so let's pick up and take a look at Psalm 20. David writes, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, and may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Now, what's David saying? He's saying, if God's not for you, you're in trouble. May the God of Jacob defend you. He's the Almighty God. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. We think that it's going to come out of our manufacturing facilities. We think it's going to come out of the weapons-making facilities. And David is saying, no, your help, your strength comes out of Zion. It comes out of the sanctuary of God. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. You, you move away from him, you tank. It's real simple. Um, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners and may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. I mean, you look at the Civil War when you'd have the, the Virginia uh, Army um, uh, under Lee coming in, Northern Virginia Army, and they'd be coming in. They had a banner. I think it's in Washington and Lee Museum down in the basement. And it's, you, you see all their war banners and all the things that they've, they've got on top of it and all the campaigns. And you look at any uh, military unit in the United States, and they're going to have a banner. It's going to have all their military campaigns. That's what they're speaking of that the banners are going to be God's because every campaign you're going to win you're going to realize well that one goes to God that one goes to God to the glory of God and and David's pointing out the only way we're going to win this is is that we're on God's side and you remember when Joshua saw the the uh, commander of the Lord's army and Joshua said are you for us or against us and the commander of the Lord's army which was I believe a Christophany appearance of Christ in the Old Testament said no are you for us or against us? No. You got to be on one of the guys. No. And the question is, are, are you for me or against me? God's not interested in your agenda. He's interested in you getting on his agenda. And when you are, you win. When you aren't, you lose. It's a really simple formula. It worked for this nation for over 200, 200 years. 238 years we've been under the same article of incorporation while every other nation on the face of the earth has gone through a minimum of 10 changes of government. We've been under one article of incorporation in the Declaration of Independence. And how does that begin? We, well, that, that's the preamble of the Constitution. Uh, the Declaration of Independence says that we've been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, already acknowledging a Creator. And that the king has usurped these authorities and, and it's the right of the people to come against that king and declaring it because God has said it so. These are inalienable rights that you lose if you don't exercise them and you are called to walk in liberty. They got it out of Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. And that's where they get their motivation. That's where they get their heart to do these things. 21 universities founded by Scottish Covenanters. Uh, no, 21 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 28 universities founded by Scottish Covenanters. These were the folks that looked at it and said, this is the only way we succeed as a nation to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. They wanted all their children to be educated. Uh, up until the 1930s, we were educated on one textbook, the New England Primer. If you've never seen it, you've got to look at it. The book is that high, that wide, and that thick. You would have no back problems if that was in your backpack. And every one of our founding fathers was educated under that. And all it is, 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 when I said all it is, it's dealing with the Hebrew style of education, which you're, instead of dealing with knowledge, you're dealing with character. You, you gain knowledge, but you're dealing with character before God. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We remove God from the equation, and we, we wonder why our children are acting like animals when we tell them that they've evolved from them. And so, David is saying, you want victory? It's not going to come with your chariots. And, and he says, uh, verse 6, Now I know that the Lord saves the anointed and will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, verse 7. Some in horses, 
but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. I'll tell you what. It is not fun to go to battle without God. Hitler said the Third Reich would last for a thousand years. You don't burn God's chosen people and think you're going to get away with it. And you think burning Jews is bad. Jesus says if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the deepest ocean. Those are babies. We've got to take an inventory. And, and we're, we're the salt of the earth. We're that moral preservative. We're that voice. And, and it's not comfortable. It's not pleasant. And people don't want to hear it. Hey, go somewhere else. Serious, just go somewhere else. This is what we're called to. And so David gets it. God's encouraging us through his word. Let it sink deep into your heart and say, God, how do you want to use me? Let's look at Psalm 21. Uh, to the chief musician, the Psalm of David. And, and by the way, this is, this is a response in a sense of a victorious people and what they're going to do with the king. It says, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. So what they're saying is, David, you sought the Lord, and now God is rewarding you, and we're rejoicing with you. They, they get to see him singing Psalm 20, and now they get to, they get to rejoice in Psalm 21. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. By the way, according to Romans, uh, who appoints all positions of authority? God does. God does. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like godly authority. Uh, when, 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 when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And when the wicked rule, the people moan. And they're rejoicing. They're praising. They're just, I mean, think about it. We've lived long enough to go through good presidents and bad ones. Democrat or Republican, irrelevant. I think some of the toughest times we ever experienced, I remember Nixon. That was awful. I remember gas lines with Carter. I remember, um, uh, you, you probably remember this. Uh, Bob McEwen said that he was, well, he was a congressman from Ohio. And he had to go from Ohio to Washington, D.C. for the sessions of Congress. And he would have to time it because all the gas stations were closed because they were doing gas rationing under, under Carter. And, and, and he had just been elected. He was a freshman congressman coming in, and he had to make that route. He said, <clears throat> the day Ronald Reagan got elected, all the gas stations opened. What changed? It's this idea of leadership. You know, the thing that turned the American people off to Jimmy Carter, he had some great ideas, but the thing that turned the people off to Jimmy Carter was it was all about con- conserving, it was all about cutting back, it was all about, you know, you guys aren't working hard enough and you have a bad attitude. Wait a minute, you're leading. Didn't, didn't we ask you to lead? Don't, yeah, hey, time out. A leader's only as good as his followers and followers only as good as his leader. Lead. And so... This is the last thing we'll get into the text. When I heard Chris Christie speak at the Republican National uh, Committee meeting, uh, I I heard a a clip of it. This is the thing that amazed me. That man is an amazing communicator in a lot of ways. I fully disagree with his social issues. Physically, he's taken on every non-touchable thing you can imagine in the state of New Jersey. And, And he has faced them down in a predominantly Democratic state uh, held a uh, Democratic held Congress, House, Senate, and, and he has stood him down. And why? Because he was elected by the people and he said this, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And he got into office and he did this, 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 and this. That's why 37% of the Democrats in New Jersey are voting for him. And he has a 90% voting rate with the Republican Party and over 60% of independents are on his side. It's not because, and, and they disagree with him. A lot of the Democrats disagree with him, but they said, look, I don't necessarily like a lot of things you do, but what he said he'd do, he's doing. He's leading. And, and so that's that picture that, that God appoints these positions. He gives favor to men and women. And so the people are rejoicing. Look at verse 8. Your hand will find all your enemies, and your right hand will find those who hate you. 
You will make them as fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you, and they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore you will make them turn their back, and you will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Be exalted, O Lord. In your own strength we will sing and praise your power. The last declared war in the United States uh, that I believe was a just war. And you do that by Augustine and you take a look at just war. I think the last just war in the United States, from my vantage point, you can disagree with me, was World War II. And when we were bombed by Japan and they sunk our Pacific fleet and, and we were doing the Lend-Lease program with Germany, we went in on December 7, 1941. Yeah, I always say two. Uh, we, went, we went to war. We declared war after they bombed us. And, and we, were, we went from the 22nd largest army in the world. We were behind Romania. And they, had, they just sunk our Pacific fleet. We, we lost a large portion of our Atlantic fleet. And, and uh, the Philippines fell. Right? We lost, we lost our Pacific contingent of our military personnel. Wiped away. And within four years... We raised the fleet from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, rallied an army that became the largest in the world, brought two fascist nations to their knees, floated our our ships into Tokyo Harbor for their surrender, reestablished republics in both countries. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty fascinating. That's fantastic. What happens now when you walk away from God? You look at the... You you sit and, and you listen to a broadcast of President Roosevelt during World War II... Fireside chats, you remember those? And you know what he's doing? He's praying. The President of the United States is leading the nation in prayers. They're gathering around the radio in the name of our Savior. He's a, he's a Democrat. And he's praying. So it, it, what I'm saying is, Democrat, Republicans, irrelevant. This man seeking the Lord, the nation's being blessed. And today, it is... It's awful to mention God in any capacity. You're an idiot. You're a fool. And what do we have now? We're, like I said before, a handful of men bring the nation to its knees with, with box cutters, right? And then we go to find the perpetrator of it, Osama bin Laden. How long did we search for him? Yeah, almost, almost a decade, I think. A decade. And, and we're reading Psalm 21 your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. A decade. And then we killed him. And what happened to all of our Navy SEALs that were involved in that? They were all killed. Some people think it was an inside job. Because all the Afghani commandos got off and some regulars got on the aircraft. They went in and all of our men were lost. And the CH-46s went down. Every one of those guys, gone. This, isn't, this, is, this is God in the equation. Now, the cool thing about that, and I'll, I'll move on to the next two. The cool thing, if there can be found a silver lining in the death of, of, of those brave men, if you've ever read the story called Fearless, it's a story by, about Adam Brown. Adam Brown was Dev Grew SEAL Team 6, and he trained uh, to, he, he was actually a, a crack addict, a heroin addict, crack addict, he had dropped out of college, got involved with the wrong girl, and ended up in drug houses in Arkansas. Estranged from his parents, committed felonies. He was finished. Strung out, looked awful. Finally, he goes to Teen Challenge, accepts Christ, um, meets a girl in Sunday school, sweet virgin gal, you know, and, and she's staying. But he backslides again. She stays with him. Finally, he just says, I want to seek the Lord. He says, maybe if I can go into the Navy. And so the Navy recruiter for the state of Arkansas happened to be a family friend. He was a captain, highest-ranking guy in Arkansas uh, for the, for the uh, reserve forces. And, and he said, if, if Captain, I think, Smith or whatever, will let me in, then I'll know because that guy did everything by the book and he wasn't going to allow a felon to go in. And the captain even said later, I don't know why I approved it, but I did. So Adam gets to go into the Navy, gets into the Navy, goes to uh, Great Lakes up in Chicago, trains with them, 
finishes first in his class of, of the naval recruiting force, first in his class of the enlisted men, and the entire winter, and if you've ever been Chicago winter, you know how awful it is, he was training to be a Navy SEAL, and of 40 guys that started out in the preliminary training, he was one of three that finished. So not only did he finish first in his class, but he finished, you know, of one of only three that finished the other extracurricular SEAL team training in the dead of winter. So he's accepted into SEAL team training. He goes, he finishes top in his class in SEAL team training. And uh, he's slotted, he's, he's doing great, he's going through training, and while he's doing uh, an exercise of training, he's hit with a paintball in his eye, and he's blinded in his dominant eye, his right eye. And he was slotted for Devgru, which is SEAL Team 6, and they weren't going to let him in because he had a disability. So he taught himself to shoot with his non-dominant eye, which means his head has to come out from the corner. And in addition, he severed these three fingers on his hand, and they had to be reattached, and he had to teach himself how to shoot again. So to prove to them that he, he wasn't to be disabled, he went into sniper school, which they say is harder than SEAL team training, and he finished like seventh in the class, and they said, okay, let him in. So he's now assigned DevGrew 6. He gets to Afghanistan. He's one of the most amazing guys. No one ever dies on his watch, and he is leading people to the Lord. He's witnessing to all these guys. When they're in a firefight and they're backing out of an Afghani village, he's dropping shoes to the kids that he's asked his family to send him in big packs. Everyone loves him. He is beloved by everybody. He prays. He seeks the Lord. It's an amazing thing. And then he's shot and killed. And his teams are just devastated. Every single one of the men in Dev Grew SEAL Team 6 comes to his funeral in Arkansas, and they never knew a thing about his past, about the drugs. When they heard that, they were weeping. And the men that had never given their life to the Lord gave their life to the Lord. They have a picture in the book of Fearless where all of them are jumping off this bridge into an Arkansas river that uh, Adam used to do when he was young. His life so ministered to him that every single man in his team gave their heart to the Lord. And every one of those guys died. The, the author of the book wasn't a Christian. He said, this man's life was so profound that I haven't picked up a Bible in over 20 years and he has caused me to re-examine my faith. So even in the midst of a nation that isn't seeking God, there are, there are remnants that are. And they have an enormous effect. And that's you and me. Amen. Okay, um, be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. So that's the close of Psalm 21. Let's go to 22. Let me tell you a little about Psalm 22. Psalm 22, uh, when we read this, I want to tell you something. There is nothing in David's life, in the history of his life, that can be associated with whatever it is he's saying here. That there's, there's nothing that's happened in David's life that he can testify um, that this is an account of his own life. And so you read it and you're thinking, what is this? And I'll show you in a minute. It's one of the most profound psalms in the scriptures. It's what we call a messianic psalm. And you're going to see a picture of crucifixion in this messianic psalm, and it's hundreds of years before it would ever have been invented. And you're also going to see when Jesus was on the cross, he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now remember that as we take a look at this. Here we go. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the, in the night season, and am not silent. But you were holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm... And not a man. And by the way, I, I've tried to do a little bit more study on this. And there's a pretty cool thing that I, I first heard John Corson do on it. And I've heard a couple of other people, even Damian Kyle's covered it. Um, and you guys can do a little more background study on it. I'll give you an ex understanding of it. But the word for worm in this passage is different than what you'd find in other areas of the Hebrew scriptures. And I'll explain it in a minute. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan. They have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It, is, it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to the jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. 
For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Does that sound familiar? But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly, and I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, and those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him, and it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation, and they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. There's one question that Jesus asked in his entire ministry that never got an answer from the Father. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He was hanging on the cross. He had the seven last words of Christ. We know that one set of them was, it is finished. Another one was, I thirst. He went on to declare, uh, mother, your son, son, your mother, behold. But in this case, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Heaven didn't answer. Why did God forsake him? You missed it. Look at verse 21. B. You have what? Answered me. How did he answer him? Because the beginning said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Question. And then he says in verse 21, you've answered me. And here's why he was forsaken. So that he would declare my name to the brethren, meaning first to the Jews. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. So first to the Jew. And he has not despised nor abhorred the afflicted, affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him, but, he is, but when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be in the great assembly, and I will pay vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart forever live. He says, Jews, non-Jews, and then he says, And all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord to save for generations to come. That's why God forsook him. Because the sins of the world were poured upon his son so that the Jews could be saved, the Gentiles could be saved for generations and generations and generations to come, even up to us today. That's why he was forsaken. That's why he was forsaken. And you look at the picture of this psalm and you see so many messianic prophecies fulfilled. None of his bones could be broken. He had to be crucified. His garments would be bargained for. Cast lots for his garments. You know why they sneered at him like the, the dogs of Bashan? We, we see the, the Catholic crucifixes and we see that Christ is wearing a loincloth as he's hanging. He was, he was absolutely naked on the cross. There's nothing more humiliating than that. That's what they do when they, they parade you naked, to humiliate you. And, and they mocked at him. You saved others, save yourself. Remember they said that? If, if he had saved himself, none of us would be saved. Nails didn't hold him to the cross. He's God. You know what held him to the cross? His love for you. You know why he would endure being forsaken and take your sins upon him? 
Because of the joy that was set before me endured the cross. What was that? You and me. We're the joy of the Father. He loved you this much. He loves me this much, right? And so in this psalm, can you imagine when David's writing it, what he's seeing? His hand's moving. He probably had a dream that night. They pierced my hands. They pierced my feet. David was never pierced in his hands. He's never pierced in his feet. He never went through that. Jesus said in his final words, and if you go through Psalm 22, you almost see every one of the final statements. But he said, I thirst. Do you remember that? And he even goes through that picture. He's talking about a pot shirt, and he's talking about thirst. He's talking about how dry his mouth is. And yet the Lord ministers to him. I'll, I'll close um, by sharing. Let's go back to... Um, Let's go back to verse 6. This is, this is where you can do a little bit more homework. Check it out. He says, but I am a worm. I am a worm. And no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. Um, by the way, let me just share this with you. Interestingly enough, my daughter memorized this in kindergarten. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Uh, by the way, I read this in the cave um, where they said that Jesus was kept on the last night of his life. And we had, we had Orthodox Jews in the room with us because we had traveled to Israel with a, a whole, we had atheists, Jews, we had them all in there. And I read this passage, I didn't tell them where it was from. And it says, Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he had grown up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So when you see Jesus with piercing blue eyes and the halo over his head, I mean, think about it. If they'd come into the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Where's Jesus? Oh, he's the one with the piercing blue eyes and the halo. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Jesus was common looking. You couldn't discern him out of a crowd. There was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. So for those of you who are really into the paintings, and we always want Jesus to be painted what, what we think, a, a Norse god, but, you know, that's, that's not the case. So he says, um, he's despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stri- stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare to his generation and goes on. And I read that in this tomb that night or that, that day and I turned to my Orthodox friend I said, where's that from? He goes, it's from your New Testament. I go, no, that's Isaiah 53. That's your word. That's your Savior. That's your Messiah. And you look at 53, and you look at Psalm 22, and then you read the gospel accounts? You've got to be an idiot not to get that. Now, let me say this, not to say that the Jews are idiots, because the scripture says that they've been blinded specifically. They have, they, have, they have scales over their eyes, and God will remove these in due time. But when the scales have been removed, we have to go back to the passage that says, anyone who says there's no God is a... This was declared hundreds of years before crucifixion had been invented. You take eight of those prophecies of the over 300 pertaining to Christ's death. Eight of them. It's like covering the entire state of Texas three feet deep in silver dollars, painting one red, throwing it somewhere in the state of Texas, parachuting a blind man in, letting him wander the state, and he gets to pick up one silver dollar. And it's the red one. That's for eight of those prophecies being fulfilled, let alone the over 300. Peter says we have the more sure word of prophecy. Don't dismiss it because you had a comparative religion class. You're an idiot. Don't do that. 
Put your, put your thinking cap on and do your homework. Because eternity's at stake here. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Psalm 23. Oh, no, no, I said I was going to go back. It even gets better. Not that it's been good at all, but worm. I am a worm, not a man, scorned by every, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. Now, this is, this is what they call, and it's, it's interesting, it's called Ecocos elysi. It's a certain type of worm. contains a chemical that is an antibacterial agent, which is why it was used in two types of purification ceremonies that we find in Leviticus 14, 52. When there was a plague, scarlet was included in the purification of the house, and he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the running water and with the living bird and with the cedar wood and with the hyssop and with the scarlet. And that scarlet came from this, this worm. The scarlet worm was also used in the formula with the ashes of the red heifer. And the priest shall take cedar. It goes through this. It's all in Leviticus 19. Now, uh, what's interesting about this worm, the crimson worm, the cocos elysis, was necessary to make one clean, which is symbolic of the blood of Jesus, removing the sin of disease and death from us. And so when the scripture says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. Um, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling unclean sanctify and pureth of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge uh, our conscience from dead works to the, serve the living God? And that's in Hebrews 9. And the crimson worm, this, this, uh, this worm tells the story of Jesus' love for us by dying on the cross. This idea of, of the scarlet, lead of, or scarlet thread of redemption. This worm, when it's crushed, when it dies, it emits this scarlet picture. And, and, it, and it has to, it, when it dies and it emits this, it's a covering and a protection for its family. And it crawls up on a tree and leaves a stain on the tree when it dies. Now, you're going to have to do your own work on this to confirm all that. But this isn't the only place I've heard it. And both of those teachers, to me... John Corson, he's a little bit of evangelistic. But Damien Kyle, he, he covers it. Dave, have you ever covered anything like this? Have you ever heard? What's that? Yeah. It's really interesting. So do, I'll, I'll spell it for you if you want to look it up. It's, it's amazing. It's called the Crimson Word, uh, a Crimson Worm. Cocus, C-O-C-C-U-S, Alyssus, I-L-L-I-C-U-S. And uh, it's, it's fascinating about this worm. And, and it's the only place where we find in the scripture, with the exception of those Levitical statements, of this idea of that, that worm, of that scarlet worm. And it totally, if you follow its life pattern and the whole bit, it's a picture of Christ. It's amazing. So, all right, let's close tonight with this one passage of scripture we always hear at funerals, right? Yes? How many gravesides have we been at where we've heard this? Yeah. Psalm 23. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's almost, you can just leave it alone, walk away from it, because it means that to all of us. It's like hearing the, the song Amazing Grace. And immediately our soul's touched. That's, that's the writing of this psalm. The picture of it, like I said before, when you, when you look at sheep, there, there's nothing vicious in a sheep. They are, they're, not, they're not smart animals. If you take a, a herd of cattle and you cross a raging kind of river and you get along, little doggy, and, they, and they, they get to the other side. They don't like it, but they get there. You start on this side of the river with a herd of sheep, with the water going, you'll get to the other side without any sheep. <laughs> they are dumber than a box of rocks. 
and uh, they 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 can't defend themselves. They are they are four footed consumption for every predator. It's like oh, those are delicious. <laughs> you ever see the Far Side cartoon when they had the spamalopes? They were square animals. And all the cheetahs were looking at him. Mmm, delicious. That's a sheep. They're just like, uh, uh, uh. they can't defend themselves. They can't fight. They, everyone is their predator. They're dumb, right? And left to their own, they just they, they just wander, get lost. But all of that changes when you give them a shepherd. The shepherd then becomes the watch, protects from the wolves. He herds them. He leads them by still, wa- or still waters, green pastures. He loves on them. He cares for them. And they're satisfied. They're restored. And, and that's the picture because David says the Lord is what? My shepherd. None of this applies to you until the Lord becomes your Savior. And you need to realize you're a stupid sheep. Can we all give it a little... <laughs> I'll, I'll show you how stupid you are. If you have a problem with me calling you stupid, I'll sit down and you can, I'll join you. I already know I'm stupid. That's why God, God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. He took the dumbest person and put him up here. The scriptures say that. There's nothing else I can do. You guys, you have the ability to go into the world and accomplish great things. He puts me here so I live in a fishbowl because my life is so bad compared to yours. Dead serious. Don't elevate. Listen, just because the thing is, it should be like this, not talk up to you. But here's the point. I'll show you why you're sheep. One person gets up to go use the restroom. You go, <laughs> You come to church on somebody. Somebody's in your seat. <laughs> you come to the donut counter. <laughs> no coffee. <laughs> Out of toilet paper. <laughs> Air conditioner's running. Yes? Isn't that a neat picture of yourself? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spend the last moment just sharing this with you. This idea that um, he restores our soul and he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's his righteousness put on our account. Propitiation, we've covered that, Right? He takes our sin, gives us his righteousness. Well, and then the name of Christ is lifted up. All men are drawn to him because every man can have that same enjoyment. There's, there's sin exchanged for his righteousness. That's a deal. And, and your sins, past, present, and future, covered in that one act of, will you be my shepherd? Done. Right? Remember when we were covering First um, uh, John chapter 2, where uh, verses 1 and 2, where it says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who, is, who himself is a propitiation for our sins. That's his business card. You're, you're on death row. You're in an orange jumpsuit, and you need an attorney, and he comes, and he gives you his business card. Jesus Christ the righteous, I'll be your advocate, and I will, I will take care of the penalty. I'll pay for it. I'll tell you what, that's a business card you want. And you want him as shepherd, and you want his business card, and you want him as your savior, whatever, however you want me to describe it. Do business with him because he'll restore your soul. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The beautiful thing is when you become a Christian, you don't die. You fall asleep and awaken in the image of Christ. You'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You'll be frightened. And the only weapon Satan has is fear. And then God says to you, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. No weapon fastened against you will sand. Greater is he who's in you than he is in the world. Fear not, little children, for I am with you. You're like, okay. And sometimes the rod and the staff, they comfort me because he's there going, I I got this, just keep walking. And you're walking through, it's okay. Mm. And that's where he says, oh, fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You repair a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
And this is, this is my favorite, 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 favorite part of Psalm 23. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what I love. Romans 8.28 All, which in the Greek means all, all things work together for good with those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. All things. I told you a story, countless stories, where you initial act, thought there's no way this can work together for good. Remember the story with Tim Maddox. That's a good one. I just talked to him today. His, his dad leaves his mom he's, and goes off with another woman. He's a dancer. Matt Maddox goes off to France. Tim never sees his dad again. Tim's left with his two brothers. Tim's mom dies. He's farmed out. The three brothers are farmed out to different family members. Tim comes to the West Coast, gets addicted to heroin, ends up in prison, gets hepatitis, and comes to Christ. When he gets out, he goes works in an old age home, and then they say, we're going to Russia. He says, I'll go to Russia. I'll go anywhere to serve the Lord. So deeply saved. He gets to Russia and starts to connect there, marries another gal that came out of a mess who husband was beating her, and she left with a single child, and Calvary Chapel is the only one to give a single mother a chance in the mission field, and two of them meet, they marry, they start a church in Kashirskaya, Russia, uh, they're, they birth to two daughters, Abby and Emma, Abby is a dancer, Russian ballet, they come to the United States, and they go to Cyprus, and while they're in the United States, they were dancing in the California Dance Academy, Abby was excelling, she'd had all the Russian training, and, and actually, Tim's dad was Matt Maddox, one of the most famous dancers in all the, of the country. Um, but Tim had never really known him. And, and everyone knew Matt Maddox in the dance world. And here's Abby Maddox, and she's doing great. And now they say, well, we're going to Cyprus to start a church. And everyone's saying in, in Agora and also Westlake, how can you do that to your daughter? There's no, there's no ballet in Cyprus. There's no ballet in Cyprus. What a cruel thing that you're going to take your child out of this and put her in Cyprus. How could you do that? I mean, the ridicule from, from these folks was unbelievable. And, and Abby would go, you know, Mom, if this is what God's calling us to, he's calling us to, and off they go to Cyprus. And Abby's struggling. She's trying to do ballet with videos, but it's not working. And her skills are dropping. And one man by the name of Lambros, who had danced for the London Royal Ballet, uh, was a Cypriot, comes back to Cyprus and decides that he wants to start a ballet company, commi- convinces the city of Limassol to start a, 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 a dance company. And because he is a London Royal Ballet and he's, he's renowned in the nation, they've given government funding, they start it, they build this beautiful uh, ballet company, and there's tryouts, and Abby goes to try out, and she doesn't do that great, but he recognizes her name. He says, uh, I've only seen one other spelling of this in my entire life. He said, do you, do you know a mathematics? And she says, yeah, that's my grandpa. He goes, darling, let me tell you something. And by the way, they didn't have any money. They, they couldn't pay for ballet lessons. Uh, he says, I left Cyprus in my 20s, and I wanted to be a ballet dancer. You don't do that in, in your 20s. And everyone laughed at me in London, except for one man. His name was Matt Maddox. He took me in, and I trained with him. And I made it all the way to London Ballet. And what your grandfather did for me, I'm going to do for you, and invited her in to be in the dance company in Cyprus. Tim got to share that with his dad and lead his dad to the Lord before his dad died last year. Tim met a half-brother he never knew he had. Had a chance to share the Lord with him. All things work together for good. And I'll tell you who was really touched by it. When it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When Tim was sharing with his father, who had abandoned his three sons, and even abandoned this other half-brother, when Tim sharing a God of forgiveness... When Matt Maddox gave his heart to the Lord, he had 90 plus years of regret. And in a moment, God swept it up. So when Matt Maddox looks behind him, all he sees is goodness and mercy. They're the coachmen. You're walking around, you're screwing it up. You say, God, I repent. And you go, okay. And you turn around, you go, where's the mess? I've used it together for good.
All things work together for good. I love that passage. Amen? Two minutes. Any questions before we close in prayer? Any questions tonight? All right. Oh, Dan's in. Are they professing Christians? What do you, what do, you do with the tax collector? You love on them, right? I, I, yeah, I'd eat with them. I'd fellowship with them. I'd go to their parties. Uh, every chance you can to be around them. I'd remember their birthdays and their anniversaries. I would be a better friend to them than anybody in their, their close circle of friends. Amen. And, and, you know, here's, here's the one that, that, that gets you sometimes. As a pastor, the sacrament is non-negotiable. Or this, I should say this picture of marriage is non-negotiable for me. But it's not an issue of homosexuality to me. It's an issue of marriage. Um, my sister said, will you officiate my marriage? I said, no, I won't. I can't. She said, will you come to my wedding? You bet I will. Now, some of you disagree with me, and you're probably going to find another church. That's all right. All, listen, all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. For me, this is profitable to reach my sister. And, I, and listen, I'll stand before the Lord and deal with that on my own. You, you come up with your own. You've got to navigate those waters before the Lord. But, but that's, I, I've labored over that, Dan, and I know you do too. But what does James says? If any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God, and God will give freely to him who asks. Ask the Lord. My opinion in a dollar will get you a cup of coffee. No, three bucks will get you a cup of coffee. Okay? Sure. Father, thank you for tonight, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, just the joy of knowing that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life, and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Lord, we so look forward to that time. Thank you, God, for the fellowship of the saints, the joy we have every Wednesday night as we gather and we open your living word. Our hearts are restored. And we're refreshed. Our, our souls are refreshed as we, we sit by these, these calm waters and these green pastures. And so, Lord, we thank you. So bless your people. Strengthen them for this week ahead. And, Lord, we, we ask that you would just continue to pour your spirit upon us. And, Lord, thank you for my, my sweet Natasha for her 20th birthday. Bless her, Lord. And I pray the years ahead are, are more exciting than the ones behind. And that the, the joy of the Lord would be your strength and her eyes would be upon you the God who delivered her and loves her, that you would bless her. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.